All right, what's going on? Welcome to Racing Radio, episode four. I'm here. Uh, no Justin today. He couldn't make it. Uh, here is Stephen Toronto, who covers NASCAR for CBS Sports. Steve, what's going on, man? It's good seeing you. We caught up in uh, Daytona. We were just talking for like six minutes before this, so we're not yeah. just saying hi for the first time. But we caught up in Daytona. Uh, man, it's been a it's been a, like a, a kind of a perfect start to the season. Besides them not finishing under green for the Daytona 500. Yeah, it really has. I think um, anytime the Daytona 500 gets rained out, you always worry about, oh man, what's uh, what's the ripple effect of this going to be in terms of, you know, not attracting new fans and just having people who were going to watch the Daytona 500 anyway, watch it on a rain delayed Monday. But I mean, between um, between the race itself, I was there. It did not feel like a uh, race that had been postponed to a Monday. And then being in Atlanta as well and seeing you know, the third closest finish in NASCAR history. And then the reaction to it from, you know, not just people in racing, but people outside of racing as well. It's um, It's been a really nice start to the year. And I think that there's a lot of intrigue and a lot to talk about as we start on this little uh, two-race West Coast swing here. And by the way, I'm glad that we get to do a show together after uh, JetBlue screwed up what we were going to do last year for the 500. Uh, I was I was looking forward to that. So I know, I know. We were we had this whole like show planned around Daytona last year for Talking Giants. Like, hell yeah, we're gonna do interviews, we're gonna have Steven Toronto on, we're gonna do it on site, and then JetBlue totally screwed us, which did lead to like a great Talking Giants like t- episode title and intro of the you know, sorry about this, JetBlue sucks. The longest intro we ever had for a show. I just did the two minutes of um Ben Stiller and and uh, meet the parents of you know you know you get and then exactly one year later uh, Wandell Robinson gets screwed over by to the day gets screwed the, over by JetBlue the exact same day talking about in the fan zone yeah the the exact same day so ended up uh, and ended up you know making for a nice little meme or uh, whatever um, but yeah the reaction to that race was nuts right and I, I do want to talk about that with some of the social media reaction. Yeah. Um, that all that went with it. As and, do I, because I seem to, uh, I seem to have caused a bit of a stir this week as far as, you know, where it ranks, where it, where it doesn't rank. And I actually have another story about that from the racetrack. So where would you have it ranked? Cause I, I saw one of your tweets about darling. Oh, three Darlington, which I agree a hundred percent. That is to me, the greatest finish of all time, the way that, you know, or battling Kurt Busch losses, start power, like no finish. I think it's, Damn near impossible to top that yeah. finish, but this was like, man, this was like a, still a huge mo- moment. It's just like Darlington, Ricky Craven, and Kurt Busch is just like untoppable. Yeah, well, the reason I said what I said is just because I don't want people to be prisoners of the moment. Um, you know, obviously, recency bias is a real thing. Uh, there's a real temptation to, you know, say this is the most incredible thing that has ever happened when something really, really incredible happens. Uh, but I just kind of wanted to say, yeah, this is probably top 10 all time. I think as of right now, it lacks some of the context of finishes like, let's say, um, Ricky Craven, Kurt Busch at Darlington in 03, where there's multiple variables that go into that. Kurt Busch has no power steering. Uh that race for the win plays out over like the last 20 or so laps and especially the last five laps or like 1979 Daytona 500 launches uh, NASCAR to national prominence. So I, I think before we really get into ranking that finish, we need to 
take a little while to see exactly how it uh, it gestates and makes sense in the context of things overall. But I, I do get it. It's you know, it's three cars separated by seven one thousandths of a second, and I I don't know. Um, I saw something after the race where it was like the distance between Daniel Suarez and Kyle Busch, which was Kyle Busch finishes third at uh, seven one thousandths of a second. And it still would have been good for, I don't know, either top five or top 10 closest finishes in NASCAR history. Uh, yeah, it would have tied it for like 10th. So I, I, I do get it. I do, I do think it's incredible just like everyone else. But uh, I kind of wanted to just say, wait, Wait a minute. Let's not, you know, let's not go crazy when we uh, when we rank this. And I think the like for NASCAR when you're ranking finishes, I think the historical context means a little bit too. Like Kevin Harvick at Atlanta, you know, yes. in 01, like that. Thinking of that can like bring me to tears. Like how big of a moment that was for the entire because it's you know it's it's one sport every competitor every single week, you know, unlike other sports where it's, you know, one versus one matchups, you know, so I, I don't think it has like the huge and, and the fact that it's a drafting track. Um, but I, what I will say is to me, it's the, like the, it's to me, even though it's 0.003 and not the 0.002, it was the first time I watched the finish to a race. And I thought, I, I, I guessed the wrong winner. I was like, I think Blaine yeah. got it. Like Craven and Darlington, I, you knew, like without a matter of, you know, without any doubt, Craven won partly because of the Pontiac nose sticking out. And then even Johnson Boyer, like if, you know, maybe that one wasn't as easy, but if I like, I think Johnson got that one in Talladega, but that is just like, and it was just three wide. And even if it doesn't have that great of a finish, it was already a great race at Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Like them going, like Cindric taking it four wide, which was one thing, oh. right? He did it through the trial, huge move. And then Kyle Busch goes and sticks it, you know, th all through all turn one, and then they were four wide the next turn without wrecking. Was like, mm -hmm. that was like, this is like a, you know, a get, you know, edge of your seat type race. So it was already a great race and then had a, just that great, you know, finish to stamp it off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I actually did the exact same thing you did because I was in the media center. I kind of wish I was on pit road, but I've got to, during cup races, I've got to be tethered to my laptop on like, you know, the expanding truck races where I can do a bit more just around the racetrack uh but i called blaney too initially until i looked up at uh timing and scoring and it said suarez but uh, anyway i alluded to this and i kind of wanted to share this story um just as we talk about you know where do you rank finishes all-time finishes after they happen so uh daniel suarez finishes up his press conference uh and naturally i get what i need to out there and once that's done, I've uh, got to go to the bathroom. So so I scurry out of the uh, media workroom, go, go to the restroom, uh, do what needs to be done, finish up, uh, go wash my hands. And uh, the guy beside me asks, uh, hey, uh, you think that's the greatest finish ever? And there's three sinks there. And on the far end sink is Daniel Suarez, you know, because – He's got to, uh, apparently he had to go to the bathroom too. So I have to take a very diplomatic, ah, uh, you know, it's difficult. You know, I, I'd say it's top five all time. I think it's, uh, I think, I think it's good to, uh, 
good to put it there. So like I couldn't actually commit to saying, yes, this is the greatest ever or no, this isn't the greatest ever because I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to poo-poo or downplay what Daniel just did. And then, uh, and then as I'm, you know, drawing my hands off, I, uh, I just shout out Daniel. Hey, that was awesome. Felicidades. You know, that, that kind of thing. That's, uh, that's just something, one of those behind the scenes things that happens when you're, when you're media at, uh, at a NASCAR race. Probably less awkward than when you asked Daniel Suarez. I wish I would. I should have got the clip of this where you were. Yeah. Like well, you, well, I, we te- that clip. I I texted you about this. Yep. Because you you uh you know you said to quote the great philosopher Mike Joy, Mike "Have Joy. you ever?" Which is like an all time NASCAR line. Everyone everyone knows what you're saying except for Daniel Suarez, and yeah. you got a good save of like, "Have you ever seen a, a finish or a race like this or something?" Yeah. PR good, media answer. Yeah, it's it's a good thing that in the back of my mind I said to myself, yeah, uh, Daniel like English is Daniel's second language, and he kind of learned it like ten years after Craven Bush happened. So maybe I'll have to clarify this and just be ready when when it does. But but when he gave me kind of that pause after after I asked that question, you know, there was a little moment of social anxiety shit, shit you know i gotta you know that didn't land so um either way i had to uh had to make sure that i conveyed what i was trying to get through and uh you know i had uh i had another media member say oh there it is steven toronto if i have you ever so i i feel like i was able to get through what i need to get through and uh daniel i thought gave a good answer as well um he had a pretty exciting finish to win his first Xfinity Series race at Michigan, uh, 2016, last lap pass on Kyle Busch. And then he also referenced um, what won him the Xfinity Championship that same year. And that was a pretty dramatic finish as well. So um, so overall, I think it worked out. It was just, you know, it was just one of those things where it was like, you know, I got to make sure I talk to who I'm talking to properly and make sure they understand, you know. I want to hit some current stuff. Uh, Dale Jr. going to Amazon, Turner Broadcasting. Is it going to be 10 total races for Amazon and TNT, I believe? Uh, Split between them, yes. Uh, So five on Prime, five on uh, TNT. He he said, uh, you know, before the season started that he hadn't re-signed with NBC. How did – I know that these companies throw a bag at them, but – how do you see NBC going forward? Because like, you know, I think their broadcast team does a really good job. You know, I think he's got, you know, great chemistry with Steve uh, Letard and and Jeff Burton. Do you think they just kind of roll with, with Letard and Burton or try and add a, you know, a fourth person in there? No, I think they uh, do exactly what they were doing before Earnhardt joined that broadcasting team, which is a free man booth with uh, Rick Allen, Jeff Burton, Steve Letard, their first three seasons. And, And quite frankly, I I understand that Dale Earnhardt Jr. adds a lot to the broadcast, and I think it's become uh, quite good as an analyst. But I was always just under the impression that a four, or always had the thought that a four-man booth was a little too busy and there was a little too much going on there, um, because you could tell that production-wise, they kind of had to try things to make to make it work, like uh, having. Rick Allen and Steve Letard in one booth and then having Jeff Burton, Dale Earnhardt Jr. in another booth and, you know, having Rick Allen pitch to their drivers, you know, okay, what do you think of this as opposed to, 
just kind of allowing uh, Rick and Jeff and Steve to, you know, have that traditional three-man booth dynamic and uh, play off of each other. Uh, I, I would like to, and I'd like to think that we're kind of just getting back to three-man booths. I know that, um, you know, Fox did that rotation for a couple of years before they uh, hired Kevin Harvick for this season. And I think that that's kind of uh, allowed me to look forward to, okay, how is this going to, how is the dynamic between Mike Joy and uh, Kevin Harvick and the lawyer going to develop? And I, th- and I think that um, the NBC booth had a uh, pretty good rapport before and that Jeff Burden, Jeff Burden in particular, I think really does a nice job in terms of carrying um, a broadcast as an analyst. Uh, so quite frankly, I completely get how Amazon and Turner went after Dale Earnhardt Jr. I think anyone or any executive in their right mind would have done the exact same thing, especially if you're new to NASCAR and you're trying to um, give yourself some legitimacy and quite frankly, generate a lot of hype uh, for your broadcasts. I, I just think it's uh it should work out for everyone involved, even though NBC I'm sure isn't, very keen to lose Dale Earnhardt Jr. I think I think this this will be nice for everyone, including the television audience. Yeah, I, I was surprised whenever Dale Jr. floated out that you know he didn't have a contract done with NBC. He kind of felt like okay, well they they'll figure something out. But yeah, you know, yeah I called on uh, February seventh. I tweeted out Amazon and Turner have entered the chat, so you kind of had to feel like there was going to be a bidding war for for Dale Earnhardt Jr. services and that. Uh, I, I don't know how much money does Amazon have. You had to think that they a were going to uh, <laughs> yeah. be the highest bidder, you know. Um, and you know, I, we could talk. We'll have like a Dale Junior conversation because you know he Bubba Pollard, uh, who was like yes. a short track racer. I want to get see, get what you know about him on. It really feels like Dale Junior, like post career, is like it feels like he cares about the sport like more than anyone and that's not a shot at anybody else it's just like he feels the weight of like to carry on nascar and and have some roots to his leg you know like keep some you know true to his roots while also looking to the future um like he he truly feels like the spokesperson of the series and i don't see that changing for a long time where like I, i don't know you know, how much, you know, going to the Amazon and Turner and all that stuff, you know, changes things. But like with his media company, Dirty Mo Media, it is kind of like you almost like appreciate him more post-career for all that he's doing than he, what he was doing, you know, you know, to finish off his racing career. Yeah, I think uh, I think I've said in the past that uh, Dale Jr. is almost like the true believer of NASCAR who goes out to the masses and uh, preaches the gospel of it. But Bobby, you were asking a little earlier when we were off air just who Bubba Pollard is, and I'm glad you asked because for those of for those in the audience who aren't necessarily hardcore race fans, I'll illuminate that a bit. Bubba Pollard is more or less the single best short track racer in the country, single best uh, late model short track racer. He has a bunch of big wins and big races to his uh, to his credit. He's got over a uh, hundred career victories including in um, the big-time, highest-paying late-model races like the the All-American 400 at National Fairgrounds, the Slinger Nationals at Slinger Speedway, 
the Rattler 250 at I don't I don't remember where they hold the Rattler 250, but I'll probably remember and feel really stupid later. Uh, he's won the Florida Governor's Cup. He's won the Red Eye 100, the Oxford 250. Uh, and he's also won the World Series of Asphalt at uh, Bobby Skinner, your uh, your neck of the woods, New Smyrna Speedway. And I just said Smyrna. I, I keep I keep mispronouncing New Smyrna Speedway. I, I have a, I have a there's people memory. around here who who pronounce you know, you know the guy who worked on my dad's cars Horace who's still around is he called New Smyrna so yeah. it's it's, it's so people get it. yeah people uh, people get it wrong um yeah so he's so basically uh this is and I didn't mean to cut you off Bobby but but really this is something that people have wanted to see for a long time and uh, a couple of years ago. Bubba actually got the opportunity to race in SRX at uh, Five Flag Speedway in Pensacola, and he finished second in that race, which was televised uh, nationally on CBS. So, and I think this goes back to what you were talking about, about Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s impact on the sport as a whole. I think in terms of short track racing, he's done a great job, and the other NASCAR figures who have invested into, like the Cars Tour as well, just in creating a better platform and a bigger platform for drivers from the more traditional uh, late model background who are very accomplished racers but don't necessarily have the financial backing to make their way into NASCAR's national tours to get noticed and to and to also get an you know an Xfinity ride with uh, Junior Motorsports. So I'll give you another name, uh, Carson Quaffle, who's a big up and comer. In, uh, in the late model ranks. He'll be making his debut in the Xfinity Series in Atlanta. In a, not, not Atlanta. Uh, Martinsville in a JRM car. Um, and then obviously, um, Junior was the one who gave Josh Berry the opportunity to race in a competitive Xfinity car. And now you see Josh Berry is, is in cup. And that's something we hadn't seen out of... Uh, that's a height that we hadn't seen a driver who's won the uh, NASCAR Weekly Series Championship reach... Um, in almost 30 years. So I think that's one of the major areas in which uh, Dale Jr. has had a massive impact on the overall welfare of the sport and making sure it's not only making sure it's growing, but also that it's the foundation of it and the core of it is both protected and prospering. Yeah, because, you know, the more and more NASCAR becomes about, you know, sponsorship backing and all that right you kind of lose some of the you know the good old boy feeling which obviously you know they nascar doesn't need to be totally chasing its past but it's like you do miss some of that where it's like yeah this guy you know like when you when you hear stories of the greats you hear this you know of you know dale earnhardt racing with his father and you know and and so on and so on of how these guys kind of made it on their own you know struggled and, and then ended up making it like you like I'm rooting for Josh Berry to do well, to have a success story like that. Like I, I'd like to see those guys, you know, do better more so than you know some of the, you know the the guys who just have the financial backing, which is you know it's just a part of the sport. And it it like it feel like Dale Jr. just like he understands that too, and he wants to keep that alive and and you know keep the like local short track racing is you know that is who your NASCAR fans are. And getting more and more of that, I, I I really like that. So he's just become a like to me, he's become like the true ambassador of the sport. Like you can't tell me that he's not 
you know, putting those guys to race a race in the 88 is not about trying to keep that alive and give those guys opportunities um, and, and giving them, you know, obviously Bubba Pollard had a name for himself, but giving them the opportunities to maybe, maybe becoming, you know, the next star in NASCAR, despite the fact that they may not have like the financial backing behind, you know, yeah. whatever big, big company. And I think of the track that Richmond is, you know, worn out surface, uh, you absolutely have to take care of your tires there. I think Bubble will have a really, really good chance to be competitive right out of the box. I, um, you know, as long as uh, he doesn't strike me as the sort of driver who would put too much into it or make too much of it or put too much pressure on himself to perform. But, you know, I think if it turns into just a short track race about short track fundamentals, I think he's got a good a chance as any as, uh, is anyone competing at the race, especially considering that Bubba has raced against a lot of drivers who are in NASCAR now as they came up. He's he's 37. He's uh, he's had a pretty long career in uh, in late models and a lot of uh, a lot of drivers who have come up. Chase Elliott um, is or has been a big advocate for, for the kind of driver that Bubba Pollard is. So I think he'll acquit himself well. To the uh to the highest levels of nascar yeah um so I, yeah i mean i'm gonna be rooting for him like i, I want to see guys like that that win and you know try and keep the sport sport growing you know as, as they chase the new fan which i want to talk about here is like it's important to also cater to the lifelong fan who does kind of miss the you know the good old days right like, yeah you, you gotta move that- Sorry, I'm just glad that uh, we've reached a point now where the you know you would always hear older race fans going, "Oh, you can't make it on, uh, you know, you can't make it on talent anymore." It's all these damn rich kids coming in and taking all the rides. You know, I- I'm just glad that we've got examples like a Josh Berry, like a Ross Chastain, um, you know, like a, like a Bubba Pollard. If this turns into something more, or um, Doug Colby a couple of years ago won the SRX race at Stafford and then. Got the opportunity to uh, get into a good truck ride at Bristol, and I think finished twelfth of it. So, it's um, you know, I, you know, there's always going to be pay drivers. There's always going to be guys who uh, have the means to buy their way in, um, and some of them, you know, some of them are quite good as well. It's let's not completely dismiss and knock those guys, but I think uh, I think it's a positive sign for the sports growth that you're seeing more and more merit-based hires. Um, especially with bigger teams who have the, you know, who have the means to say, uh, you, you know what, worst comes to worst, we'll open up our pocketbooks and put uh, put a guy like, let's say, what uh, SHR did with Barry, with Ryan Priest, and with Noah Gregson, we'll we'll give him a shot. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned Ross Chastain, like he's one of the like star, star the one of the sport's biggest stars. Yeah. And he's performed really well, but it's it's not like he's winning, you know, success. He's won four total races in his career, you know, and yet he is still one of the biggest stars. And I think part of that is the relatability and and obviously the wall ride at, you know, the Hail Melon at Martinsville, you know, helps in all that. But, hey, I think part of the reason why he's someone willing to do that is because of his background and how he came up in the, you know, instead of, you know, clean cut all the way through. Um how much have you seen of this, like NASCAR all-out blitz for this Icy Vert Twitter page, um, and and what do you what do you think about that? Um, I'll confess that I'm not super familiar with Icy Vert. 
Um, I know a couple of uh, NASCAR YouTubers pretty well. Uh, Darren Yellum, you know, Daniel Baldwin, uh, Jared Lundberg, those those guys. But um, I, I guess the extent to which I saw it was Icy Vert reacting to the, to the finish. And then next thing you know, there's a really hardcore press to get him, you know, further interested in NASCAR and give him uh, the opportunity to come to a race. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly who at NASCAR is or would be spearheading that. It might be someone at their uh, their digital department. Uh, I, I think don't, part of it is natural, right? Like he went viral. Carson Hosovar, you know, you know, followed him and reached out and said, "We, you know, hey, I, I asked and we can get you to a race." I actually like it, right? Now, I wish he wasn't an Eagles fan because that would make it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I've, well, I've been having. Uh, well, I mean, I posted the uh, picture of uh, Daniel Jones pointing the gun in uh, one of the threads, saying, you know, "Around <laughs> here, we don't take kindly to Eagles fans." Yeah. So, uh, so it's just, uh, you know, I'm just got to make sure that, uh, that they know what's up or at least I'll be, I mean, we can, uh, I but completely lost where I was going with that. It seems, it seems genuine though, where he's like, yeah. Hey, he made a NASCAR tweet. It went off and he's like, actually like, Hey, like might actually help. Right. And I, you know, I've been a part of like, he's doing a better job than what we did at John Boy Media and you know, where they had us come to a couple of races and, and promote it. Like he's, he's doing more than that, despite the fact mm-hmm. that he, you know, he's got 20,000 followers compared to, you know, the, whatever that John boy media has, because it is genuine and he's having fun with it. And, you know, I don't know, you know, how long it lasts, but I, I do think they've like, gained a new fan in him. And I, and like, I want, I always wonder about how like stuff like this works, like how many people are actually becoming fans of it. But I feel like even a little bit is, is worth it. Um, where I, I'm excited to see it, the the more I follow NASCAR as you know, die hard again, the more I'm also starting to get to a, a little annoyed with NASCAR Twitter, where it's like, well, why? How come I've been a fan for ten years? How come I? I it's like, well, yeah. Now, you expect NASCAR to just start randomly handing out VIP passes and, and stuff? There's off, yes, obviously, someone who can help grow the sport is going to get special treatment and you know it's very funny to so i've I've already been starting to get annoyed by nascar twitter uh so which means i'm fully back in the sport yeah i'll put it to you like this i have uh inundated myself with um the nascar sections of the internet uh even pre-twitter web forums web 1.0 for i guess you would say over 15 years now uh, the same things that fans complained about 15 years ago are the same things that they're complaining about now. And did, have you did you see my uh, my threads on Twitter recapping uh, the old internet comments from uh, the yes yes Metro yes when uh, when Dale Earnhardt spun out Terry Labonte at uh, Bristol in '99 and uh, Dale Jr. went below the yellow line to win at Talladega in '03. Um, you know. Time, uh, time doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Or what, what was it? No, history, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Time is a flat circle. Those, those sort of things. Um, fans are, you know, there's always been a certain level of gatekeeping. I feel like um, with NASCAR fans, as it pertains to casual or new fans, especially when they felt more alienated by some things that NASCAR did uh, in the 2000s. But I think that. I think that 
NASCAR has kind of learned from those experiences where, you know, yeah, it's probably not good for us long term if we uh, tell fans in Darlington or North Wilkesboro or Rockingham to take a hike because we're trying to uh, we're trying to attract new fans and uh, get into new markets. I, I think they've struck a very, very nice balance between taking care of the core traditional fan and showing newer fans what's great about NASCAR and why NASCAR is such a uh, exciting and also enjoyable and distinctly uh, American sport. Um, and really, to me, it's almost generated a standpoint of, yeah, if you, you want to you want to complain about NASCAR doing this and that, which is new. You want to you want to say it's terrible that they're uh, going to Chicago and doing a street course race or uh, going to the LA Coliseum. It's it's like, oh, why don't they just do the Clash in Daytona again? It's it's just, like, yeah, selfishly, I would like it to be in Daytona since I'm an hour away. Well, I I, I get it from that standpoint, but I was making the argument uh, after the Clash that. If you're trying to use the clash as a means of promoting the Daytona, promoting NASCAR and promoting specifically the Daytona 500 to a new audience, it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense to do it in a place where everyone there and everyone watching on television is just going to watch the Daytona 500 anyway. Uh, but but really, it's for me, it's it's like yeah, look, we revived North Wilkesboro. We brought North Wilkesboro back from the dead, and North Wilkesboro is a part of the schedule again. I think NASCAR another Dale Junior led project, by the way. What's that? I said another Dale Junior led project, by yes. the way. Yes, him and Marcus Smith um, really did a lot of the heavy lifting there. But it's like, yeah, I, I think honestly, I think NASCAR has a lot of leeway now to uh, to try and do new things and uh, grow the sport in certain ways and also bring it you know bring it directly to the masses and bring it directly to people who quite frankly may not have considered nascar in uh in the past yeah all right steven uh i I used to show the twitter handle but what can uh, let me put it in the comments what what is what is your your uh i'll put it in the comments what is your twitter handle so people go follow you I read your articles for CBS all the time, so people should uh, should definitely give you a follow. And you're a Giants fan too, which I think yeah. the majority of this audience is. Yes, yeah, so I'm a big time uh, talking Giants reply guy. Um, I was on the live show at uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. I was a actually the famous first show. Yes, I was the first guest on that show, and uh, you know it wasn't my best. I will confess. I I think I was a little woozy myself from the Natty Daddies. And then uh, Mr. Brownstone came in and just uh, changed the course of history. So Truly. That's, uh, yeah, so that gets forgotten about. But anyway, my uh, my Twitter handle is at uh, Toronto 92 That's uh, two A's and an O in Toronto. So not spelled like the city in Canada, but uh, pronounced the same as it. And then I'm also on uh, Instagram now. I'm using that more often. I'm using that to uh, showcase some of my racing photography and um, – I'm also well, I gotta uh, follow you there. To, this is good. Looking to uh, model some uh, some of my racing gear, racing jackets. I uh, I will, you might have noticed I wore my uh, Alan Kowicki shirt. I did this. notice that. You got some uh, got some glimpses of that. So those are those are two places you can follow me. And uh, for my race day coverage, 
cbssports.com slash NASCAR. We've got uh, news stories, preview stories, uh, betting previews, and then uh, live blog race coverage on Sundays. So uh, that's where you can find me. It is the Charlotte live show is one of my, like if I think about talking Giants, you know, 20 years from now, I'm going to think about the Charlotte live show where it's like, hey, do you guys want to do a New York Giants live get together in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, because we have a lot of diehard fans in Charlotte and we want to go watch the NASCAR. It's like, sure, why not? We got like 20 people out there. We're like, okay, this is cool, right? But it's only for these 20 people. And it literally became a rallying cry for the Giants' first playoff win uh, since Super Bowl 40. Let's I mean, win some it's, games! It's, it's like I, my brother watched that show who's not a Giants fan, and he's just like, ah, this is the funniest thing I've ever watched. So many elements to it. Just, you know, the holding the microphone out, all that good stuff. So, yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, I see I see Isa in the comments saying, sorry uh, for thinking that uh, I was Anthony from iRacing. I actually uh, used to be quite the hardcore iRacer myself. I um, had 20 career wins in iRacing. Ran, uh, ran it a lot when I was in college. Um Still occasionally run it, and as a matter of fact, I think I'll I think I'll run the uh, NASCAR iRacing Series race at Las Vegas tonight. I might uh, might get the wheel out and hop on. I kind of want to. It's it's you know, if, there's some things I would do if I won the lottery, and I could end up getting this on my own. But it's like it'd be like you know, get whatever diecast I want, mm-hmm. um, you know, sponsor a truck series team, and then give myself like the best iRacing hookup. That those yeah. would be my first three orders of business before. Before I paid any bills, before I bought a house, those would be like the, the first three things I do. There was actually a guy who won the lottery in Virginia who proceeded to take what he won the lottery and buy a uh, truck series team. Uh, Joe Danette, if you wanna if you wanna look him up, he he fielded a team for uh, Ron Hornaday about ten years ago. So there is a precedent for that. There is someone who has taken their lottery money and gone racing with it. I am going to do it. I hope there's like some slap shoes, like YouTube video on. Somebody's had to do a YouTube video on that because I'm going to watch that tonight. Um, Steven, thank you as always. Uh, I'm sure we'll be doing this again yeah. and, uh, to everyone else out there. Uh, oh, Las Vegas uh, pick. Uh, who's your pick for Las Vegas? I, I went pretty safe this week. I would say Kyle Larson, just based on his history since uh, since joining Hendrick Motorsports there in 2021. Won his first race for them at that track. He was second in the spring race last year. Uh, won the fall race last year. And, uh, you know, there's nothing to suggest for me that he's not going to be in the mix to win this week. So I, uh, you know. I didn't go on a terrible limb. You can check out some of the other picks I made as well on Sportsline. But yeah, I'd say uh, I'd say Kyle Larson is my uh, pick to win this week. Kyle Larson. Hmm. So my so we're doing a point system this year where if you pick okay. someone and they win, you can't pick them for the rest of the year. Yeah. Oh man, Bubba Wallace finished fourth. I mean, yeah. all the Hendrick guys finished one, two, three in the in the March race. Um. Uh, what if what if it's the other Hendrick guy though, Chase Elliott? Um, um, you know, I actually I'm really trying to take a cautious approach with picking Chase Elliott early in the season, just until I see concrete evidence that he's all the way back from his 2023 form. 
but I will say that I'm actually really interested to see how Alex Bowman runs this week. Um, Cause not only did his last win came at come at Las Vegas uh, two years ago, but if you remember last year before his sprint car accident, before the injury, he was as good as any driver in cup statistically. I think he led the points uh, he did. a couple weeks early in the year. So this is going to be a good test to see if uh, if he's all the way back as well, which based on uh, the results of the clash and the 500, not necessarily last week, he got wrecked down on lap two. But I think that this is going to be a good showcase to see, you know, where Alex Bowman is. And quite frankly, I think I think he should be very much considered um, a threat to win just as much as his teammates at Hendrick and Byron and, uh, and Larson are. You know what? I'm going to go. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to pick Kyle Busch. So I'm going to kick, pick right. Kyle Busch. This is home track. And if he runs bad here, I'll be like, okay, maybe not pick Kyle Busch unless we get to another drafting track, which, hey, he's leading the points right now. So I, I'll say the points leader takes the victory. All right. That's an episode. We'll see you uh, on either Sunday or Monday after the race. Until then, let's go racing.